0: So dear friends, um, please allow me to introduce our guest teacher this evening, um, Joanne Friday. And Joanne, um, whose dharma name is True Joy of Giving, has been a student of Thich Han for many years and received authority to teach from him in 2003. She is the guiding teacher for the seven sanghas that comprise the Rhode Island community of mindfulness and considers the Dharma to be the greatest gift she has ever received. And her greatest joy is being able to share it with others. And with that, again, Joanne, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And I would like to turn things over to you. Thank you for inviting me. It's really fun to be able to be in Montana and never leave home. Um, I appreciate the invitation. Can you all hear me? Yeah, okay, good. Um, Yeah, I don't know. um, uh, Have things been a little bit uh, chaotic in Montana at all? As they are on the East Coast or is it simply an East Coast phenomenon? that I'm experiencing, if they've, been, if they've been a little chaotic, give me a thumbs up and I'll know. A little bit, yeah, okay, I just wanted to know that we were too far out of the loop here. Um, yeah, the, uh, tonight I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, and I was invited to talk a little bit about how important it is uh, to transform and heal the suffering in ourselves if we want to be able to change the world or transform and heal the world. And uh, when uh, Nicole said that being able to share the Dharma is uh, my greatest joy, that's really the truth that um, I think that uh, Thai has given us a really precious gift. Uh, I look at what Thai and the Buddha have given us as sort of being a – a roadmap and some really good directions. And um, it's up to us to take the trip. That uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says, for every hour we spend learning something, we should spend seven hours practicing. Uh, That's a really tall order. Uh, For a long time, I was, uh, before I came to the practice, I really believed that my body was just there to carry my head from place to place. I was really uh, caught in my in my mind so um uh i have just found it to be a total blessing um we're on the east coast experiencing a um lot of uh a lot of suffering from um the pandemic from uh, a lot of death a lot of grief a lot of um economic insecurity, food insecurity, um, just in a whole lot of ways, lots of losses. Uh, And so uh, to me, it's been a real invitation, uh, minute by minute, actually, to try to deepen my practice. Uh, We have lots and lots of opportunities, I find, minute to minute, all day long, every day, just about. Um, and I really do feel that Thai and the Buddha have given us everything that we need. I feel so grateful. I've been studying with Thai for about 30 years and, um, I'm continually more and more amazed, uh, at the wisdom that he's given us. So, um, the Buddha taught us that the first noble truth is that suffering exists. And I've sort of outlined, um, what we're observing over here anyway. And, um, uh, I think that, um, one of the biggest difficulties among human beings is our unwillingness to be with suffering. And this is what the Buddha found out when he was uh, becoming enlightened that he want, we want to, uh, run away that, um, there's a Dutch theologian named Henry Nouwen. And Henry Nouwen uh, said that he said, Don't ever underestimate how difficult compassion is. That um, we're being asked to be with somebody in the places where they're uh, lonely and uh, broken and vulnerable. And we don't want to go there. Uh, that's not our natural tendency. That our natural tendency is either to uh, try to hurry up and fix them or to run away. And when I heard that, I thought, um, I really need to do that for myself, that uh, uh, we don't want to be with our own suffering. We don't want to be with the places where we're broken and uh, uh, broken and lonely and vulnerable. Um, and that really is what uh, the Buddha and what Thai teaches us is how do we develop enough courage and fearlessness in order to uh, be willing uh, to be in those difficult places and to be with the difficult emotions that we experience. And why it's important is um, that if we can't do that, then it's really almost impossible for us to be present for other people's suffering. That um, uh, we do want to hurry up and either fix it or or run away. And... Uh, if we don't take care of our own suffering, it colors our perception of everything. So all of the practices, I'm sure uh, Nicole said, you guys have been practicing for quite a long time also. So, um, but a lot of the practices that Thai has given us uh, for healing uh, the past in the present, um, for being able to uh, uh, develop the, um, just to develop the courage that we need. Uh, we've been given the five remembrances uh, every day to be able to touch those things. That, it ties says everybody's afraid of um, old age, sickness, and death. And so we do the five remembrances not because we want to be masochistic, but so that we can develop the courage to touch the things that, that we're afraid of. And um, the thing that I love about the five remembrances is that... Um, I'm of a nature to get old. I'm of a nature to become ill. I'm of a nature to die. Uh, I'm of a nature to lose everybody and everything that I hold dear to me. There's no escaping any of those things. And then the fifth one, where we say, uh, my actions are my only possessions. They're the ground upon which I stand. And they are my continuation. So our actions of thought, word, and deed are the triple karma. That's what creates karma, and that's our uh, immortality, that's what's going to continue after this body's fallen away, and uh, it's a beautiful reminder, so instead of falling into despair over uh, loss, uh, we understand that, yep, everything's impermanent, and so what does that tell us? It tells us we really, really, really need to be present every moment for this lifetime and enjoy every single moment that we have. Uh, so that kind of reminder, I find, is a good way to start the day. Other than, rather than being depressing, uh, it helps me live with more intention. And then uh, when we do our sitting meditation, to be able to develop the capacity to choose where we place our mind, to me, is one of the greatest um, uh, forms of empowerment, that uh, instead of having our mind go running off in a million directions, and right now it's so easy, I at least find, I don't know if any of you are having that difficulty, but I find that uh, it's really easy to get pulled right into dualistic thinking. It's really easy to get pulled uh, off center uh, uh, to um, get into speculation um, about what might happen or could happen or whatever. And I just find that uh, having trained the mind to be able to choose where to place it is extraordinarily freeing. (laughs) It is uh, one of the most wonderful things we can do. So when we can do our sitting meditation with intention and be able to watch the mind, notice when it's going in a million directions and bring it back and bring it back and bring it back, we're hardwiring in the capacity. The Buddha in one of his last teachings was talking about, um, it's the uh, sutra on taking refuge in the island of the self and uh, taking refuge in the Dharma in ourself. That every time we do a sitting meditation, we're hardwiring in that path back to that place of solidity and stability in us. That place where we're not able to be shaken, that place where we're not able to be pulled off center that my happiness cannot be dependent on anybody or anything outside of myself. And uh, that is a real uh, blessing when we're trying to navigate the turbulent waters uh, that we find ourselves in. Um, I can just give one really quick example of my experience with with, uh, that particular practice. And that is, um, I've been living with uh, stage four metastatic cancer for 12 years now. And uh, when I first got diagnosed, I got a phone call. Uh, I had just put my mom in hospice care. I was in the hospital with her. And I put her in hospice care, and I got a call saying I had cancer. And I had just helped two friends die with cancer. And I thought, oh, yeah, nothing I wanted to have anything to do with, obviously, and felt a lot of fear come up right away. And then Ty always says, ask, are you sure? And I did. I said, are you sure? And I thought, no, I really don't have any idea. It could be a terrible, horrible thing, or it could be almost nothing. I don't know. And in that moment of not knowing, I felt complete peace. It was like, if I don't know, what is there to be upset about? There's nothing to be upset about. It's a wonderful thing. So don't know mind is um, a great practice. And then I thought, and this is kind of ironic and silly in one way, because I thought, if I have limited minutes to live, which that if is ridiculous, of course I have limited minutes to live, everybody does. And uh, so having limited minutes to live, how many do I want to spend in fear and speculation? And the answer was zero. Uh, That has made my life so much easier. For 12 years, I've really been able to enjoy life, Um, not getting carried away uh, by fear and speculation. Just minute by minute by minute. Uh, If I get up in the morning and feel good, that's a great thing. Um, And I do my best to enjoy the day. So this is what Ty says. He keeps telling us to do our best to keep our appointment with life, that we don't want to miss it. when he offered a three-week retreat on what happens when we die he said well actually we don't but he said i don't spend much time thinking about what happens when i die i really focus on uh this present moment and i figure that if i take really good care of all the present moments the future will take care of itself so um i find that to be be very helpful but i think it's more important than ever to um Like I said, cultivate the capacity for um, stability to really be able to have our default position be to stop, to breathe three times to our belly, calm myself, to really look deeply in order to understand what's going on with me, what's going on um, uh, in the situation that I'm in. I think that with this uh, pandemic that's happening and with everything that's happening, we've all been called upon. It's like the curtains have been pulled back and we can, if anybody's paying attention, it seems like a whole lot of the the difficulties, inequities, and things like that have been really exposed. Uh, We can see um, that there are things that really need to be fixed, uh, things that probably, we need to change. And in our practice, the first thing we do is always say, what part have I played in the difficulty? If I'm having a problem with another person, if I'm having a problem uh, in any way, I look and say, okay, what part have I played in the difficulty? One of the blessings in that to me, uh, I was recently listening to a Lakota teacher who was talking about um, the Lakota language and... Uh, He also, he said that we think that uh, we need to uh, save Mother Earth. And he said, Mother Earth doesn't need saving. Mother Earth is fine. She's going to keep going no matter what. She'll slough us us off if we don't wise up, but she's going to be fine. And uh, what we need to do is to be able to recognize that she's trying to save us. So when I heard that, I thought, Wow, Uh, what arrogance. That's the part that really struck me was what an arrogant position that is to think that, who do we think we are Uh, like that? And I love it when that happens, when I get called upon to kind of question my view. And um, the thing that I love about our practice is that it's built right in. This is why I say I get more and more impressed with the wisdom that Ty has handed down to us the longer I practice. Because um, just as an example when we uh, uh, and and the arrogance, the lack of humility uh, the lack if I look at any of the difficulties that I see happening in the world right now, what I see is a total lack of recognition of our state of interbeing that if we were to uh, understand really experience interbeing, we wouldn't have just about any of the problems that we have, our interbeing with each other, our interbeing with the planet, our interbeing with ourselves, our our, uh, understanding that uh, we're one cell in this huge organism, Um, we wouldn't be having the problems that we're having, I don't think. But um, human nature being what it is, it's really easy, like I said, to get dispersed and pulled off the center. So the part, that I go back to all the time are the 14 trainings. And the first training, um, I find it to be really a deep, deep practice when it says, uh, aware of the suffering created by fanaticism and intolerance, we're determined not to be idolatrous about or bound to any doctrine, theory or ideology, even Buddhist ones, we're committed to seeing the Buddhist teachings as guiding means that help us learn to look deeply and develop our understanding and compassion. We are not, they are not doctrines to fight, kill, or die for. We understand that fanaticism in its many forms is the result of perceiving things in a dualistic and discriminative manner. We will train ourselves to look at everything with openness and the insight of interbeing in order to transform dogmatism and violence in ourselves and in the world. And to me, if I only had one of the 14 to practice, that would probably be a lifetime's worth of practice. That um, what I have done with the people that I mentor is every now and again, we'll take the trainings and just uh, take one of the trainings and use that as our practice for a week or two and try to invent a practice that will help keep it, sh- keep it fresh for us or really remind ourselves. And this one, I mean, um, understand that fanaticism uh, in as many forms is the result of perceiving things in a dualistic and discriminative manner. <laughs> and just uh, to pay attention, When am I getting into judging and criticizing? When am I getting into uh, that duality? When am I getting into them and us? I've recently been able to sit in on a number of uh, phone calls with some folks um, uh, who are interested in white awareness and uh, anti-racism. And um, it's been so interesting because... uh, I've been involved in all kinds of movements since I was 17 years old and I'm old now, which I'm very happy to say uh, that I am. Um, But uh, I've been involved in all kinds of things uh, like that. And I could see the same thing happening this time as has happened in all the other movements I was involved in. And that was that um, when people become passionate, it's like, In the Brahma-viharas, we have a near enemies for the different Brahma-viharas. So for uh, the Brahma-vihara of joy, say, the near enemies exuberance, that we can get carried away and be mindless because we're so excited. And um, I can see this happening with people getting involved in different things. and They want to be, uh, they're so passionate and uh, so enraged. And a lot of the rage is totally justifiable. But uh, um, what can then happen is in then the groups that I was in were all white. These people are all white. And um, they were really being critical in judgment of each other. Uh, you're not a good enough activist. You're not doing it the way I think we should do it. And, that is, and this is what I've seen happen every time is that um, lack of awareness of our interbeing uh, comes up no matter who we are no matter in what milieu we're in. And it can be very destructive. Um, so to be able to just remember, uh, I tell people all the time, all I do is try my best to follow directions. that I think um, Tai's given us wonderful directions in the five trainings, in the 14 trainings. Um, and uh, to not get caught in dualistic or discriminative thinking. Uh, all I have to do is turn on the news and I can immediately be feeling them and us. Said, uh, uh, we can easily get pulled into, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm good, you're bad. Da, 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 da. And in fact, um, it's not of any value. I um, find that uh, the things that Thai has taught us in terms of conflict resolution, in terms of mindful speech. And I believe mindful speech comes from a place of uh, transforming what's in our hearts, that uh, it's more than being careful about the words we choose. Because on these phone calls about which I'm speaking, uh, people, a lot of times it wasn't so much even in the words that they used, it was in the hateful energy behind what they said. And so if we don't transform what's in our own hearts, then uh, we may be trying to have a a conversation with somebody with whom we disagree. But if that kind of energy, that force field is getting sent out in front of everything we say, there's gonna be immediate resistance and people won't listen to a thing that we have to say. We won't be able to have any kind of communication. So um, that's what I find to be very helpful. I think that um, one thing I would like to share, I know we have very limited time. One thing I would like to share is just one example of how that worked. Uh, last summer, I was at a, I was lucky enough to be in Germany at the European Institute of Applied Buddhism with Sister Annabelle. And um, she gave wonderful teachings on the Sutra on uh, transforming fear and violence, which was really helpful. Um, but in that, um, that uh, sutra it talks about how if our pride is wounded it's like we have a sharp pointed knife in our heart and we can see it for what it is and extract the knife or uh, we don't recognize that we've been that badly wounded and we just hold on to the resentment and anger and it's like we keep stabbing ourselves over and over and over and reinforcing the hurt and so I went right from the EIAB. My husband and I went and stayed at a little hotel down on the Rhine River for a couple of days. And um, as sometimes happens, there was a, a family there from the US that were celebrating the matriarch's birthday. And um, everywhere I went, I bumped into these people. it was just every place I was, they were, this family was there. And so uh, the morning before we left, um, we were sitting at breakfast there's a banquette and there are little tables and sitting next to us was the one of the sons and the mom and uh he started talking to us he was very gregarious and very friendly uh i won't go into the great detail about our conversation but the upshot of it was that the mom spoke up and she said something that uh was inherently political and i said well you know to me i It doesn't make any difference what party anybody belongs to. There are just certain things that I have a hard time accepting. Um, And I said, one of them is taking children away from their parents. I just, that for one thing, is just one thing I can't, I have no place in my mind for that. She stood up from her chair and she said, that's just because you only listen to left-wing radical news. And she got up and left. She was furious. And her son said, whoa, (laughs) she's, uh, uh a little bit hot around the collar. I said, yeah. So we continued with our breakfast. About two minutes later, she's back and she stands about 10 feet away from me. And uh, her son had been talking when she was there. Her son had been talking all about their family and how proud he was of his family. And she came back and she started continuing that conversation, but she's standing 10 feet away from me. So I just thought there is no point in getting into any kind of discussion. Obviously she's given me a clear message and, um, What's the best thing to do? The best thing to do, and I could see the sharp pointed knife in her heart. So I just said, the best thing to do is just breathe. I just need to breathe to my belly, calm myself down and send her metta. I could just send her a lot of metta. So as she's talking and telling me about her family, I'm just sending her metta and she gets closer and closer and closer and she's sitting down next to me. So she's sitting next to me and then she can't stay away from politics. And uh, so she said, well, um, uh," she said, I'm from Arizona and um, unemployment's terrible there and it's all because of the immigrants. Uh, They're causing all the unemployment and uh, that's why I get so angry. And I said, well, I'm from Appalachia, you could not be talking to anybody that agrees with you more about unemployment. I said, I had a front row seat to watch all of the men in this valley, the river valley where I lived, become unemployed and I saw the violence of poverty and I saw how cruel it was. It was like sandpaper on their souls that um, they were embarrassed, they were ashamed, they were heartbroken at not being able to uh, provide for their families it was just, uh, just agony. And I said, so, you know, when it comes to talking full employment, you're preaching to the converted. Uh, We're definitely right on the same page. And um, because I thought all I can do is try for common ground. How can we find some common ground? And it turned out that the next day, and then we ended our conversation, we finished breakfast and took off, and then uh, the next morning, we're checking out of the hotel, and who's checking out at exactly the same moment, the family from the States, and so um, this woman brings her daughter over, a grown daughter that I had not met, and she said, I want you to meet my friend Joanne, we had the greatest conversation at breakfast yesterday morning, and she was going on and on and on, and then she gave me a hug goodbye before they left so to me and i turned to my husband and i said thank you ty thank you sister annabelle <laughs> because i needed those reminders to uh, not take the bait and to instead try to try to understand can i deeply listen in order to understand the person who's talking and to see the uh, fear in her to understand the fear and the pain and suffering in her and i could i could definitely understand it so um This is where I think in these times where we're experiencing so much uh, rather than judging and criticizing and falling into that dualistic, discriminative thinking, to do the work we need to do on ourselves, to use the practice, to uh, see where, hey, really be mindful, develop our mindfulness and concentration so we can watch our mind when it starts running down that alley. We can watch... um, uh, our attachment to views that 's where the second of those fourteen trainings comes in really handy uh, that um, that truth is found in living there is no absolute truth so uh, when i 'm listening to somebody who's talking as if it is the truth, um, I like to uh, look deeply to to try to understand that too. Um, but yeah, I think that when we can uh, look at what has been my conditioning, what have, what habits of mind have I developed that have colored my perception of everything that I'm taking in, or the way in which I'm taking it in, and the more that I can understand myself, the more that I can understand those obstacles and defenses that I've built up in myself over years, um, and the more that I can just recognize them as they arise, so that I don't get I don't um, uh, get uh, broadsided by them. So I don't get knocked off centered by them. So uh, they don't have to color my perception. I can see them as being the distortion of the lens instead of absolute truth. Um, so I think that uh, uh, I had wanted to uh, share with you just one quote from um Wangari Maathai, who was a, a Kenyan woman who was the first African woman to win the Nobel Prize, she had done, created a huge project for reforestation. And um, she said, in the course of history, there comes a time when humanity is called to shift to a new level of consciousness, to reach a higher moral ground, a time when we have to shed our fear and give hope to each other. That time is now. And this is how I'm feeling now, that um, we really need to understand, uh, we need to develop our courage and our fearlessness in order to navigate through what we're going to be called upon to navigate. And so we can truly be present and be of some help for each other. Um, And I think that the way that we can do that is exactly what Tai tells us. And that is to very be gentle with ourselves. We don't try to force anything. We don't try to um, uh, be militaristic in our practice. We can be very gentle with, I call it gentle diligence over time. That uh, I have found that there's so much has been transformed in my consciousness, not by forcing anything, but just trying my best to be mindful day to day, in day to day practice. Uh, When somebody says or does something that doesn't sit quite right, pay attention. And then to look look at that and find out what's that really about? And is it anything to do with me or is it this other person? Uh, And the more clarity we can get like that, what happens is that we recognize we have everything in common with everyone. Everybody wants to be happy and nobody wants to suffer. We all have 51 mental formations in our store consciousness. We have the potential for love, hate, anger, uh, joy, um, all of it. And depending on which seeds in our consciousness we water, those are the things that will manifest in our minds. And so uh, when I know that about myself, it helps me to have a whole lot more compassion It allows me to accept my humanity, that I'm a totally limited human with uh, the potential for anything. Depending on which seeds of mine get watered, I could be capable of anything that anybody else is. It helps me to have more understanding and compassion for other people. And so if it's okay, I'll just end with a poem. There's a poem by uh, Donna Folds, and it's called Always Into Love. On this voyage of the soul, May we be bridge builders, our common ground visible beneath the surface differences. May we braid the threads of reconciliation into a chain of possibility that joins, heals, and includes what once seemed separate. May our shared prayer be answered to grow so open that there is no them or us, only the one moving always into love. Thank you so much for your true presence this evening. And thank you again for inviting me. It was lovely to be with you.